Well, how many of you have been with us at least one of the last two weeks? Okay, see, there's some people that haven't, and so thank you for coming, but if you don't mind, I'm gonna take just a couple of minutes and kind of get everybody up to speed about what we've been talking about, okay? So we gotta go back and get them, and then we'll all go forward, okay? So uh, in, uh, we've been in a series that we're calling it Questionable Lives, and this is week three, and um, here's where it starts. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, and who's his disciples now? Who's his disciples now? It's us, it's us. He says, go into the world and preach the good news. Maybe your Bible says the gospel. Preach the good news to everyone, and anyone that believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. Jesus said for us, his disciples, to go into the world and tell the whole world the good news. And the good news is that God's kingdom is coming. Read the book of Matthew and you'll see that's pretty much all Jesus talked about was the good news that God's kingdom is coming and he's gonna bring his perfect kingdom here and he's gonna replace this broken, ugly, painful, betrayal, death-filled world with his kingdom of love and joy and peace. And that's good news. And Jesus is going to be the king of that kingdom and that's good news. And maybe the best news of all is he's inviting us to be citizens of that kingdom. And even though it's a perfect kingdom where there can be no sin and all of us have sin, he's come up with a way through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we, even if we're broken, even if we've sinned, we can be citizens of this amazing new kingdom. So that's that's the good news. And spreading the good news, the term we use is evangelism. It's evangelizing, it's telling people the good news. And then people that are really good at evangelizing, especially publicly, we call those people evangelists. And evangelists are awesome. They're, they're bold and they're outgoing and they're great communicators. So they're, they're specially called and they're spiritually gifted by God to spread the gospel. And so their evangelists are awesome, but some of us aren't bold, and some of us aren't super outgoing, and some of us aren't incredible communicators. So for the rest of us, how are we supposed to participate in telling the world this good news? And so a couple months ago, Pastor Mike gave me this really good book. It's called Surprise the World. Um, it's written by a guy named Michael Frost, and it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an interesting perspective because he says that maybe some people aren't called or gifted to be bold and outgoing public evangelists. Maybe some of us have a different place in God's plan to spread the good news about his kingdom. And it's a really, it's, man, it's such a good book. It's, in fact, it really feels weird for me because I'm teaching someone else's stuff it feels kind of awkward to like take in like what he says and add a little bit of what I say. So just so you know, I'll make sure I give credit where credit is due. If any time during this series I say something and it's really just like brilliant and inspiring or whatever, that's probably from the book. And then if I say something that sounds kind of weird or wonky or doesn't make sense or something, that's probably something I added. So get the book. Um, the concept of the book comes from a couple of passages in the Bible. The first one is in Colossians 4.4. So Paul's out, he's evangelizing, right? He's going on the road, he's preaching. Right now he happens to be in prison, but he is evangelizing. He is a bold, outspoken, articulate, brilliant guy, and he's really gifted by God, and he's called by God to tell the world the good news. So he's out doing it, and he writes a letter back to this church, and he says, this is Colossians 4.4, 4, he says, 
pray for us. If you, if you aren't one of us, right, if you're not one of these crazy evangelist people, then pray for us that God will give us opportunities to speak about his plan about Christ. And verse four says, and pray that I'll do a good job. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. So he's writing back to kind of the rest of us, right? And he says, pray for us who are public evangelists, but there's another role for you as well who aren't public evangelist, and it's in verse five. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Then Peter says something really similar. In 1 Peter 3.15, he says, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. So Paul and Peter, arguably, other than Jesus, the two main heroes of the New Testament, are saying kind of the same thing. Paul is saying live wisely, Peter says it like this. He says, live with Jesus as Lord of your life. But both of them are kind of saying the same thing. They're saying, live lives that people will notice and that people will see Jesus in. And when they do, they'll ask questions. And that's why we're calling the series Questionable Lives. And when they ask you those questions, you don't need a speech, you don't need a stage, you don't need a microphone, you don't need a sermon, just answer them. And so last week we started talking about what these questionable lives look like. And I showed you this really cool chart. Um, Jim, do we have that chart? These are the five habits of highly missional people. And down the left-hand side, it's an acronym, BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. These are just five habits that would help us. If we're those people back in Colossae or we're regular people like us, we want to be part of spreading the gospel, so we adopt these five missional habits. The first one is BLESS. I will bless three people this week, at least one of whom is not a CBCB person. And what we learned is really cool is not only is that going to be questionable, not only is that gonna get people to ask us questions, it also does something in us. On the right side, it develops a a Christ-like value in us of generosity. And so we we said that all these habits have to be two things. They have to propel us outward into the lives of our friends and neighbors and community, and they also need to propel us upward into the likeness of Jesus and into a closer relationship with him. And so we, just, we can just leave that chart up for just a minute. Um, and so um, these are the five habits of highly missional people. And last week we committed to try number one, right? And so we said that we were gonna bless three people, and man, I heard some really amazing stories this week. Thank you for posting and texting and telling me these stories. Um, but let me just ask you, um, how many of you would say, I have not read the book, I don't have the book, but I at least tried this week to bless three people. I'm gonna give two books away to the first people that raise their hand. Who, right there, the first two. This is what happens when you sit on the front row. This is for you and this is for your friend right behind you. Thank you. So this has really been pretty incredible because we said maybe nothing's gonna happen for a few weeks, but let's just get in the habit anyway. And I got some really cool results from people saying, hey, some really cool stuff happened. So that's amazing. We, we bless three people, yay, that's awesome. But listen, that's not just a missional behavior, that's a missional habit. And what that means is we're not you know, <laughs> done blessing people now, right? We're not, we're not through with that. That's, we're gonna do that from now on. That's, that's from now on. You didn't, you, you didn't just brush your teeth once when you were a kid and that was good, right? No, you do, I gotta do it all the time. So same deal, this is gonna be a habit for us. We're gonna bless three people and now we're not replacing that habit, we're adding to that habit. Another habit, this one ought to be 
easy for us, frankly. Um, this week, we're not only gonna bless three people, we're going to eat with three people, at least one of whom is not a CBCB person. We're gonna eat with people. And that seems a little weird, but I'm gonna tell you, God apparently created us such that eating together is a, a powerful thing. Um, in Acts chapter two, this is when the Holy Spirit came. You guys know this story. Jesus said he was gonna send the Holy Spirit to empower the church and empower his people, and so he did. And so what happened that day, um, I remember they were all speaking languages they didn't understand, their hair was on fire, a lot of wind noise, all this crazy stuff was going on, and people were coming up and saying, what's up with these Christians, man? They must be drunk. And then Peter stood up and he said, they're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk, right? But because he is an evangelist, he stood up and he gave this amazing, powerful sermon and thousands of people became Christians that day and those people formed the beginning of the New Testament church and that church was awesome, man. They, they shared their stuff and they met at church and they met in their houses and they saw all kinds of miracles and they spread the gospel and they, they changed the world. They did all kinds of amazing stuff, but verse 42, this is Acts 2, 42, tells us, yeah, they did lots of stuff, but let me tell you what they focused on, okay? They did lots of stuff, but these are the things that they focused on. Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, but not restricted to the Lord's Supper, right? Some of this was just barbecues, right? So it's teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, and to prayer. And I, I've read that my whole life, and I've just been amazed every time I've read it, that four of the things that this amazing church were focused on were God's word, okay, prayer, obviously, fellowship, and eating together. Four of the main focuses of the New Testament church we're eating out and hanging out together. And, and God knows, but I don't know. I'm not sure what happens when we eat together, but it's something. It, I don't know, it's something. And we've seen it, you see it all the time. I mean, this is, when, this is one of the ways that babies bond with their parents, right, is when we're feeding them. Right? This is one of the ways that families stay close together. Right? We eat our meals together. When we're, when we're dating and we wanna get to know someone and we wanna you know, really become close to someone, what do we do? We go out to dinner, right? It's amazing, I think we inherently know every time we hang out, if you think all the times I hang out with my friends and with my family, so much of the time it's around eating together. And I think some people would say, well yeah, obviously we eat together because we're close. Maybe, or maybe we're close because we eat together. Maybe God knew something that we didn't know. He's the one that designed us. Um, thinking about this, how did Jesus say for us to come together to remember him? Was it around a sermon? Was it around a song? Was it around a candle? It was around a table. Huh, it was around a meal. Somehow, God wired us to connect to each other when we eat together, and I'm gonna tell you, I don't know why. I don't know why it happens. Maybe it has something to do with like serving each other, 
or maybe it has something to do with us that we're doing this life-giving activity of eating together. Um, I guess you may know Shane Aldridge is our life groups director. He has a theory that this bonding that happens when we eat together has something to do with talking to someone when you have food in your teeth. Because it's like a whole new level of vulnerability right there, right? Now we're just completely open with each other, and that's, that's as good a theory as I've, as I've heard. But whatever, whatever causes it, uh, the early Christian church got it. And so they ate together, man. They had these like communal meals, um, like potlucks, um, just all the time. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he, he scolds them because they're doing it wrong. Some people were like coming and like cutting in front of people and taking all the good food. You ever been to like a buffet and they've got like shrimp and they got chicken? You better be first in line or you're gonna get the chicken, right? That, that some people were cutting ahead of everybody else. Some people were just coming in and grabbing the food and leaving and missing out on the fellowship part of it. Some people were drinking too much. And so Paul, he kind of lights into him. It's like, this is an important thing, man. This is part of what we're supposed to be doing. We need to take it more seriously than this. So eating together has been a central Christian practice since always. In fact, we even have records from extra biblical sources, from people that wrote stuff that's not even in the Bible talking about this. Like we've got letters from uh, Julian, who was a Roman emperor, and from a guy named uh, Pliny the Younger, who was an attorney in Rome back in the day, and they both talk about these crazy Christians. They're always having these big meals. And they always sit down and eat together and invite other people to eat with them for no particular reason. So it was questionable, right? People noticed 2,000 years ago. And they notice now. It's, it's kind of a weird habit. So it's questionable. And it's super missional because it propels us outward into the lives of our neighbors. And it propels us upwards into the likeness of Jesus because it gives us a chance to practice hospitality. And hospitality is what? It's about like meeting together and sharing with each other. It's an attitude of openness with one another. And plus it meets needs that we have, physical needs and emotional needs and spiritual needs and mental needs. And doesn't that sound like something Jesus would do? Right? He comes to be with us and he's open to us, and he's meeting our needs. So when we practice hospitality, it's not just questionable, so the people on the outside looking in are drawn to ask questions. It also is us practicing a Christ-like behavior. In the book, he has a funny way of showing this. He says, how would you finish this sentence biblically? The son of, who's the son of man in the Bible? Jesus, right? He's the son of God and the son of man. And he mostly calls himself the son of man. So finish this sentence biblically. The son of man came. I think we have a chart for this one. Uh, Mark 10, 45 says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as ransom for many. Luke 19, 10 says, the son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Luke 7, 34 says, the son of man came eating and drinking. My kind of savior right there, right? So the first... The first two verses tell us his purpose in coming, right? So this is like, why did he came? Why did he come? He came to serve. He came to give his life. He came to seek and save lost people. And then that last verse describes his method, right? So how did he do it? How did he come? He came eating and drinking. I mean, we're following Jesus. I'm telling you, Jesus hung out with people. 
and he ate with them. Embrace yourself. He drank wine with them. And I know it was, oh, not Jesus, not, but I'm, look at that verse, Luke 7, uh, 734, he says, I came eating and drinking, and you accused me of being a glutton and a drunk and hanging out with sinful people. That's what they were calling him. They had, they had what they thought was evidence of that. You know what, they, they never, nobody ever accused Jesus of being stuffy or stuck up, right? Because he could have never made that stick. But to say that he likes to eat and drink with sinful people, well, yeah, he kind of does like to do that. So obviously they were exaggerating. He wasn't a drunk, he wasn't a glutton, but obviously Jesus did eat and drink with sinful people. It was a missional habit for him. And if we're his followers, it will be for us too. So this week, our challenge is to eat with at least three people. At least one of them is not a CBCB person. And I'll just tell you, ideally, it would be somebody that doesn't even know Jesus. And that's, for, I'm gonna tell you, for me, that's gonna be kind of a hard one because I, almost everybody I hang out with is a Christian. Almost everybody that I hang out with goes to church here, so I need to do better at that. In fact, I'll just say, if you're here now and you're not a Christian, talk to me after church and I'll buy you lunch this week. Um, and if you're here now and you're a Christian, but you just don't normally go to this church, I'll still eat with you, but I'm not paying. So that, it's, help me, because I don't, I mean, I don't know. I'm gonna have to like go up to strangers at Walmart and ask them to lunch or something, so I gotta, I gotta get better at that. But some people would say, like, should we? get better at that, right? Should we even be doing it? Like what if somebody like sees us? What if it's at a restaurant or something and somebody sees us hanging out with these sinners? I mean, shouldn't we just hang out and eat with Christians? And shouldn't we just let, like let them get saved first, right? And then we'll eat with them. And then we'll socialize with them. And there's, there's two problems with that. Um, number one, if we only eat with sinless people, we will starve to death, right? And then number two, that's not how Jesus did it. And we're supposed to be following him. I like how this guy in this book, Michael Frost, puts it. He says, Jesus was, uh, with Jesus it was communion first, conversion second. So Jesus eating with these non-believers didn't condone their sinful behavior, but it did show them that he saw them. And it did show them that he cared about them. And it did show them that he wanted to, to be with them and share something with them. And that was super, super effective. So for Jesus, it would, conversion flowered from communion, right? Think of the story of Zacchaeus. Remember that song, We Little Man? We sang about him when we were little kids. It's in Luke 19, and so Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's a criminal. He's taking advantage of people. He's awful, and he's little. And so he's heard about Jesus. Jesus is coming to town. He wants to see the show, but he's so little he can't see over the crowd. So what does he do? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Okay, so that's, he climbs up in this tree, and then he's sitting in the tree watching the show, and Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I, I want to go to your house. Right? I want to I want to eat with you. And the people were shocked. Right? The people hated it. But Zacchaeus loved it. And he became a Jesus follower that day. So that's how it worked for Jesus. He would he would he would he did this weird thing. He ate with sinners and then yeah, conversation happened and the good news was shared. Again, that's that's how Jesus did it. He's the one that we're following. So this week's challenge, and man, 
I would love it if you post what you do, take pictures and send me texts and stuff. I, I, but this has been so much fun for me. All, all week I've been reading these texts. Oh, I bless this person and guess what happened? Oh, I bless this person and nothing happened. Oh, I bless this person. Maybe something's gonna happen. But it was really, it's, so keep doing that. Um, number one, we'll bless three people, at least one of whom is not a MyCBCB person. And it's like hashtag MyCBCB or hashtag um, questionable lives. And then number two, we're gonna eat with three people, at least one of whom is not a CBCB person. And just hashtag sinner dinner or something. <laughs> I don't care what. Uh, hopefully you're not friends with that person. Okay, so, so maybe, you know, maybe, listen, take it easy over there. Uh, so listen, maybe nothing happens, right? Maybe you just go to dinner and that's it. Maybe you just go to lunch or you buy them coffee order. Maybe nothing happens this week. And maybe nothing happens next week. Maybe nothing happens the next week that you can see. But if these missional behaviors become missional habits, eventually people are gonna ask questions. And then we're just gonna give them the answers. And now a lot of people have been asking me, like, okay, so how do we answer the questions? Right, so Paul said to make the most of every opportunity, but I'm not an evangelist, like, so what do I say? Uh, what, give me the words, you know, how am I gonna do this thing? So today, let's, let's at least start the conversation about having the conversation. Let's, let's at least say, how, how do we handle those talks? Like, how are we gonna answer those questions? Because a lot of people have been saying, this really sounds great, but I still gotta say something at the end of the day, right? So before we get too deep into the words, um, let's talk about our voice. Okay, let's talk, before we talk about what we'll say, let's talk about how we'll say it, okay? Because your tone matters. Like how you say things matters. You, you can say the same thing, same words, two slightly different ways, and it means something completely different, right? Imagine if we're driving in the car and I say, What's that up in the road ahead? Do you see how that's completely different than if I say, what's that up in the road? Ahead? <laughs> see the difference? <laughs> Same words. The tone, man, it matters how we voice it. It matters how we say it. Imagine if Jesus was saying to his people around him, he said, look, I'm, I'm the Messiah. And one person said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. And somebody else said, Jesus, you're the Messiah. See what I mean? It's the same words. It means the exact opposite thing. So we, we, changing the tone matters. The, the way we present it matters. And we're trying to make the most of every opportunity with unbelievers. The way we say our words matters a lot. And in fact, when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, he didn't give them. Read it. He didn't give them like the point by point, okay, these are the five steps to salvation, here's how you explain it or something like that. But I wanna say there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, there's lots, of, there's lots of good like systems or techniques or programs about how to tell people the gospel. So like um, you could hand them a track, get something written and just give it to them. That's a way. Um, maybe you've heard of the Roman road. Who's heard of the road to Romans? You know what that means? A lot of the old Baptists know that one, right? And it's like five verses in, Ro in Romans that just kind of takes them through the process of what it is to be saved. It's, it's awesome. Um, they used to have a thing called the Evangia Cube. Who's heard of the Evangia Cube? 
a couple of people. Do you remember it, Mark? So we would like go to the park. It looked like a Rubik's Cube kind of. And like as you unfolded, it was like little prompts to remind you of what to say as you're explaining the God. That's, I mean, that's cool. That'll work. Um, there's a thing called the bridge illustration. I actually may show that to you in a couple of weeks, but Google it. It's just a way to draw it out on a dry erase marker board or something and just show somebody the gospel. Um, there's a thing called the three circles. That's a cool one. In fact, if you get a chance, Google the three circles in three minutes. It's really interesting. The three circles in three minutes. And it's just like all these people go to a park, young people, opi- little kids, and they've got their little dry erase marker boards, right? And they're just walking up to people and they draw these three circles and that's how they explain the gospel. So if you get a minute, check out the three circles in three minutes. Um, there's a really cool app called God Tools. Check it out. It's full of great tools about how to explain the gospel to people. They recommend that you explain the gospel so you don't want to read it, right? When you're talking to your your sister, right, and you're trying to explain the gospel to her, you don't really want to be reading a you know 20-page document to her or something. And so they suggest that you use these four symbols to keep it in your mind. It's called the four. So you just keep those symbols in your mind when you're, if you're a visual person and not a word person or whatever. And so you start by saying, you know, God loves you and he loves the whole world and he loved all of mankind. But mankind and God were divided by sin. And so God sent a way to correct that and it was the cross of Jesus. So what do you want to do? Right, that's it, that's your clothes. What do you, what do you, what do you wanna do? That's a, that's a, cool, that's a cool thing to do. Um, you can do kind of one of my favorite is to tell the big story of the Bible. People say, what's the Bible all about, man? What, tell me the whole story of the Bible. I'll tell, I'll tell you right now, make, give me my circles, Jim. So in the beginning, on the left, God's space and man's space was the same space, right? But then man chose to divide himself from God and those two became separate and now God and mankind were separated. And throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament, there were places where God's space and man's space kind of, sort of overlapped a little bit, like in the tabernacle and in the temple and in the person of Jesus, we see God's space and man's space kind of the same. And at the end of the Bible, we see that God, Jesus is gonna come back and he is gonna reunite God's space and man's space, and that's the kingdom of God, and he's inviting you to be a citizen of it. So, I mean, those are, they're all good. You could use Romans 10, 9. You've heard me do that a million times. It says, if you say with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's two things. Do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? If they say yes, then okay, then are you ready now to follow him and to make him Lord of your life? And if so, thus do that. That's it. They're all, those are all really good techniques, they're all really good like uh, approaches or, or philosophies or something of how to share the gospel, but today we wanna focus not on what you say to people, but how you talk to people. Okay, so how do, you, how do you answer your questions? Because Paul, I'm telling you in that Colossians, read it, he doesn't, he doesn't give them a specific model, and there's nothing wrong with a specific model, and I don't know that they didn't teach it in that church. Maybe in the church of Colossae, they did offer a class like use this track or say it like this or draw it on a dry erase marker or use this app, although that app hadn't been developed yet. Then. But all Paul says is, he doesn't tell exactly the words to say, he says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive. He says, then you will have the right answer for everyone. That is the right answer, being gracious and being Attractive. Peter doesn't tell you how to explain the gospel. 
But he says, be sure that when you speak to people, you do it with gentleness and respect. So our conversation with, with non-believers should be gracious and attractive and gentle and respectful. And it starts with being gracious. So this word, gracious, grace, pretty common word in church, right? Come from a Greek word, charis, and it's the same word. When he says this is the way you should speak to non-believers, it's the same word that talks about how Jesus treated you, right? With charis, with, with grace. He, he accepted you, and he loved you, and he, he loved you so much that he acted on that love. In fact, Romans 5.8 says the amazing thing Jesus did was he died for you while you were still a sinner. So that's the kind of grace our conversation should have with non-believers. Um, because sometimes, not you guys, but like the 1130 service, man. Um, sometimes Christians come across a little like judgy and when we're trying to present the gospel, which I again remind you, it's good news, right? And sometimes when Christians are presenting the gospel, it's like, well, if you wanna be a Christian, you, know, you better stop that and you better start this. If you want Jesus to accept you, you gotta quit doing that and start doing this if you want Jesus to accept you. But I wanna ask you, is that how you got saved? Is that how you got saved? Were you just, did you just act so pure and so pretty that Jesus just couldn't resist you? Is that how it worked for you? Because I know most of you. It's not what I've observed. I'm just saying, is that, I mean, were you just so sinless and perfect that Jesus said, man, we gotta get them on the team? Is that what happened for you? Or did Jesus love you and accept you when you were broken? And did he accept the punishment for your sins? And did he forgive you for your sins? And then did he start changing you from there? So this may come as like a revelation for a lot of us, but people who aren't yet Jesus followers have no reason to live according to the Bible, right? Why would they? Right? Say right. That's right. So the solution isn't condemning them and condemning their sin so that they feel guilty and try to stop so that Jesus can love them. That's not what, that's not what this is. The solution is for them to meet Jesus and for him to do for them what he did for you, for him to forgive their sins and take the punishment for their sins and then begin to change them from the inside out. So the first thing is that our words should be gracious. And then the next word he uses in the New Living Translation, it's the word attractive, where our words should be gracious and attractive, right? So it's the Greek word halas, Um, you know what it means? Salt, salt. Jesus said when you're talking to people, use salty language. That's what, it's, that's, that's, that's what it is. And I've heard people say, well, yeah, it makes sense because salt is a preservative, you know? It keeps things from going bad, and it's, you know, it, it keeps things from spoiling or something, and, that, and that's true, but the language specifically says, let your words be seasoned with salt. So it's not really talking about salt as a preservative. It's talking about salt as a seasoning. So 
why do you season your food? Why do you put salt and pepper and garlic and barbecue rub on your food? Why? To make it, yeah, it's, it's more interesting, right? It's more, it's more enjoyable. It, it kicks it up a notch, right? It makes it, it makes it more enjoyable. And that's, that's what he's saying our conversation should be, right? When we're talking to non-believers, it should be interesting, right? It should be, it should be enjoyable for them. If you, it should make people, when I taste something and I've got just a little, a little more salt, a little of this, and now it really tastes, it makes me want more. Right? It makes me want more, and what we want is for people to want more. Um, Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we want them to do. We want them just to get a little taste and see how good God is. So to be effective sharing the good news, Paul says our words should be gracious and attractive. Peter says they should also be gentle and respectful. And I'm gonna tell you something that needs work for us. Right? Uh, not us, obviously, we're perfect, but the rest of the church world, it, we, we need work on that. Um, how many times have you seen a video and it's got the title like this, Larry destroys an atheist in front of a huge crowd. You seen those videos, right? Larry roasts an unbeliever and brings him to tears, right? Have you seen those videos and, and uh, you watch them and what it usually is, is our hero is yelling louder than them, right? Or he's turning their microphone off, <laughs> right? And if they say something halfway intelligent, they just cut that part out, right? And he just makes them look stupid because that's what he was trying to do. And people opposed to Christianity do this all the time. But Peter says, our words we're supposed to be different than that. Our words should be, he says, gentle and respectful. This word respectful comes from a word that means fear. It's a word we get phobia. It means fear. We should look at somebody and we should say, this is somebody made in God's image. Right? Whether I like them or agree with them or not, this is somebody made in God's image and I should respect that. Right? I should treat them with respect and I should be gentle. We're not trying to win arguments right, and, and put people down. If you're, if you're trying to share the gospel with somebody and they walk away and they say, well, they out-argued me, I hate Jesus, but they out-argued me, you didn't win. That's not, we're not trying to, to put people down and win arguments, we're trying to help somebody see and accept the love and truth of Jesus so that he can lift them up, right? So, so out-arguing them doesn't do that. Yelling louder than them doesn't do that. Insulting them more creatively than they insulted us doesn't do that. Destroying them, roasting them, bringing them to tears, these are not effective ways to do that. And at least that's not what the Bible says we're supposed to do about it. Um, I heard Max Lucado say one time, no one's ever been argued into heaven, right? Um, and I would add to that, as far as I know, nobody's ever been destroyed or roasted into accepting Jesus. There's obviously a place for apologetics and there's a place for making quality arguments and overcoming people's objections, but that doesn't seem to be what Peter and Paul are talking about here. They're not talking about making a, a case. They're not talking about making an argument at all. Look what Peter says, 1 Peter 3.15. If somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, 
If they ask you about your hope as a believer, yeah, be ready to explain it. Not just by proving it with facts. He says be ready to explain your hope in Jesus. First, you've got to figure out if you have hope in Jesus. And if so, what is that hope? And where does it come from? That's what you're going to be describing to them. A lot, most of us have faith in Jesus not because of some great apologetic or some archaeology or some philosophy or some perfect argument. We have faith in Jesus because of what he's done for us. We have faith in Jesus because of what he's done in us. We have faith in Jesus because of what he's doing through us. So one of the best ways to explain your hope in Jesus is just tell them your Jesus story. That's one of the best things that you can possibly do. People, and people like the term, give your testimony, right? Give your testimony, and that's so churchy. But that's, that's really pretty good because that's what Jesus said in Acts 1.8. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will become, he's gonna empower you, and you will become my witnesses. That's a good reminder because when we're answering questions, when we're, when we're having these conversations with non-believers, Jesus calls us to be, think of a courtroom, he calls us to be witnesses. Not, not prosecutors telling people that they're guilty, not defense attorneys defending their actions, right? Not judges deciding whether or not they deserve to be punished. We're called to be witnesses, telling them what we saw. Just telling them what we've experienced with Jesus. So yeah, when the questions come, that would be a great thing to do gently and respectfully. It would be a great thing to attractively just tell your story. Um, your story's compelling. Your story matters. Um, your story, stories move people. Have you noticed that? Stories move people. Um, that's why Jesus told so many. Stories move people. Um, I'll tell you a couple of real quick ones. Like in the Bible, there's a story in Mark 5. It's in a couple of places. It's a guy they call the uh, demoniac. Do you know that one? He was so full of demons that they said they called him a legion. He had a legion of demons in him, right? He was so horrible. He was cutting himself with rocks. The people in the town were so afraid of him that they chained him to rocks in the cemetery on the outside of town. They couldn't do anything with him. They could, the guy was, he was a danger to himself. He was a danger to everybody. The dude was a wreck. And so Jesus comes up and talks to him and makes the demons go away. And so the demoniac says to Jesus, take me with you, right? I want to go on the road with you. And I want to tell the story. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You go back and tell your story to your people. Go tell your friends. Go tell your family. And the Bible says the people in his town were amazed, right? He wasn't a trained speaker, right? He didn't have some great four-point program. He just said, man, I was a mess. Look at me now. It's because of Jesus. That's it. That was it. Um, the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you guys know that story? So Jesus goes up to this woman. She's a Samaritan, which the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Plus, Jesus, normally a man wouldn't be talking to a woman because that was like degrading for him or something. But he's talking to this woman, and he knows her story. She's been married a bunch of times. She's living with some guy she's not married to. And he knows all about her. And yet he sees her, and he accepts her, even though she's sinful. And she goes back to her town and tells the whole town, oh my gosh, you can't believe I just met this amazing person. And the whole town came to see Jesus. It was just people, that tell, telling your story is awesome. It's powerful. Plus your story is, you know, your story. So you don't have to learn it. You don't have to memorize it. You already know it. Nobody's gonna argue it. 
right? It's, it's, your, it's, it's your story, so just, that's a great thing to do. Just graciously, attractively tell what Jesus has done for you. And I know some people say, yeah, but I can't even do that. I, I just, the pressure is incredible, you know? I just, like, people ask me, well, tell me the thing, and I'll say, like, okay, well, my name is, uh, oh, uh, the pressure. Like, I can't even think of the words, you know? I can't, I can't think of what to say, and I know that that's hard. So today, I'm gonna give you a little demonstration that'll really help you with this. If you ever wanna tell your testimony, if you ever wanna tell your story, I call it three chairs, three colors, three minutes. Okay, so here's what it's gonna be. We have a red chair, that's the first chair, first color, first minute. We have a yellow chair, that's the second color, second chair, second minute. We have a green chair, this is the third chair, third color, third minute. And what we're gonna do is, I'm gonna give my testimony and I'm gonna tell how I was. This is what my life was, this is what I was experiencing, this is how I felt. You know that part of your story? You probably know that, right? And then you're gonna tell in the middle chair, this is what happened, right? I went to this church service, I talked to this person, I met Jesus, I discovered a Bible in a hotel room, this weird thing happened to me. This is who I am now. That's it. This is what I'm experiencing now. This is how I feel now. So this is probably what this demon-possessed guy did, right? He goes back to his town, he sits in the red chair. And he says, you guys remember me. I was a mess, right? I was hurting myself. I was hurting other people. I couldn't get a hold of it. The devil was winning and I was losing. And then I met Jesus. And he accepted me and he forgave me and he changed me. I'm not scared anymore. I'm not hurting myself anymore. I'm not hurting other people anymore. Now I'm calm and I'm full of peace and I'm full of joy. See how easy that is? It's just one minute, who I was, what I was experiencing, how I felt, and then it, you know that part of your story, right? And then something happened to you, right? At some point, describe it, take a minute, a minute. You know that part, right? And then you tell this, and this is what's happened for me since then. You wanna see another one? I'll give you a good one, this is me. So I don't have a great ax murderer story, right? I didn't come from that. Um, I was raised as a Christian, um, but I also was raised by a father who valued performance, right? And I always knew my dad loved me, but I had this feeling that he really loved me when I made all district. He really loved me when I brought home an A. And so I think I kind of transferred that onto God. And I felt like I had to earn his approval all the time and earn his love all the time. My dad didn't do anything wrong, but that's just the way I interpreted that. And so I fell into this thing that I better really do great if I want God to love me. I better work harder than anybody else. I better read my Bible every day. I better give more and work harder and do better than anybody else or God's not gonna accept me. And you know how I felt about that? I was scared of God. And I lived my life afraid of my father. And I had almost like this weird Christian workaholic thing going, right? If, it, if I don't do enough, God's gonna be mad at me. And I was scared of him. I knew that's not what he wanted. Just a few years ago, 
I met a guy, this really changed my life. His name was Bill Loveless. And Bill came to me and he said, hey, I wanna teach your Bible, your, some Bible stuff at your church, and I wanna show your people that Jesus is a lot less interested in what they can do for him and a lot more interested in what he can do in them and for them and through them. And Larry, Jesus is a lot more interested in what he can do in you than what you can do for him. And I thought, that kind of makes sense. Maybe it's about what he's done and not what I've done. And it's taken a while, but slowly over the last 10 years or something, I'm kind of becoming to this realization that Jesus did the work on the cross and my job is to accept it. And I don't, I don't have to be responsible. I just have to be available. When he calls me to do something, I try to do it in his power, not mine. I'm not scared of God. That's pretty good. I'm happy. I, I fail, but I don't worry. When I sin, and I, I sinned once, when I sin, when I sin, I don't think, oh, I'm out, right? Because I realize now it's not to do with my behavior, it's to do with his behavior. I was probably going to heaven anyway, right? But I'm enjoying the trip a lot more. That's it, red. Yellow, green. So, I mean, I just made that up. Very good story. Uh, you know your story. You know who you used to be. You know what happened. You know who you are now. That's it. Practice it, right? Think of it this way. Think of it as three steps, three minutes, three chairs, three colors. You know all three of them. All you gotta do is get the order right. You, you can, you can you practice them because listen, you never know when someone's gonna ask you to hear your story and you never know what Jesus might do through your story. So this is it, right? We, we live these questionable lives. We develop these missional habits like blessing people and eating together and as those things draw us closer to Jesus and make us more like Jesus, people start asking questions and then when the questions come, we talk about them graciously and attractively and gently and respectfully. And one great way to explain your hope as a believer is just to tell your Jesus story and let the Holy Spirit take it from there. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for bringing your kingdom here and thank you for inviting us to be citizens of it and thank you for going to all the incredible pain and trouble of, of dying and resurrecting so that we could qualify as citizens of heaven. This is such good, amazing news for us. So will you please help us share it? And we have evangelists here. We have the people that are so bold and outspoken and they know every verse and they always say it right and it always comes out perfect. Bless them and give them opportunities and give them the right words so that they can say it clearly and so that they can do their calling well. 
And God, for the rest of us, thank you for making a way that we can be part of this. We can still spread the gospel even if we're not bold, even if we're not outgoing people. And we can do it just by praying for the evangelists and by living these questionable lives. So help us to do it. Help us to to let these things not just become missional behaviors, but missional habits. So that blessing three people a week becomes second nature to us. So that eating with people every week seems second nature to us. Help us to live these lives out in front of people so that they'll ask us questions. And then when they do, give us the right answers. And help our answers to be gentle and respectful and attractive to people. Help us to have grace in our words. And as we're doing all of these behaviors, Lord, just please continue the work that you began in us, making us more and more like Jesus and drawn us closer to you. In his name, amen. Okay, real quick before you go. Um, Summer nights is a thing we're doing on Wednesday nights now. It kind of goes with this series. And so every Wednesday we're kind of doing something here. Men are doing one thing, women are doing another thing. This last week we all said we were gonna bless people. And so we kind of took a head start. And so the women, I think we had, I don't know how many, a whole bunch of women came in here and they made like little gift bags that have now been taken out to some of the elderly folks in our community. So that hundred and something gift bags went out this week. So that's, that was fun. That was a pretty cool thing. A bunch of men met over at SJRC, uh, St. Jude's Ranch for Children and just did a bunch of yard work over there and shoveled a bunch of rocks and chopped up a bunch of trees and all that good stuff. So that was fun. That was an amazing thing. Um, And that was cool. And you've told me a lot of your stories of stuff that you did individually. So please keep the stories coming. But again, I want to remind you, it's not a one-off, right? This is a habit that we're trying to develop to bless three people a week. And this week we're going to add to eat with three people. At least one of them is not a CBCB person. So to help you with that, this Wednesday night at 6.30, we're gonna have a big potluck picnic. You do not have to be part of our men's group or our women's group. Bring your kids, we're gonna have a bounce house. Uh, Holy Smokes is gonna do the you know hot dogs and hamburgers or something, and we'll just cornhole and basketball and horseshoes and eat and hang out. And if you wanna bring something, that'd be great. Bring a dessert or a side dish or something like that. Um, and if you know any sinful people, bring them and we'll let them meet with us. Um, so that would be cool. If you can do that, that would be great. And I just wanna tell you, if you are a regular attender of this church and you come to that event and you see somebody sitting by themselves or not having fun, if you're a regular attender of this church, then it would be really cool if you would go over and sit with them or invite them into your conversation. If you're an attender, if you're a member of this church, that's not just cool, that's your responsibility. Hello? Hello? If, if you're a member of this church, it's your job. If you see somebody sitting by themselves or not having fun, to fix that. So just, just go up and talk to them. Just invite them to sit with you or you sit with them. That, that it's, it's our responsibility to help people feel welcome, to make people feel at home, right? That's the definition of hospitality, right? It comes from the same word as hospital, right? It's how people get well. So we're gonna invite people to be with us. So bring somebody, come Wednesday night at 6.30, That's it, we're gonna have fun. Last thing, it's Father's Day. And so dads, we love you, we appreciate you, we would never send you away empty-handed. So on your way out, we have a roadie for you. It's a root beer float. So God bless you guys, have a happy Father's Day.